Breaking Down Wisconsin Basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. And welcome to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Well, Jesse, uh, an eventful final day to the regular season for Wisconsin. Uh, the game was a loss, their third straight to finish the season. They lost five of their last six games. But it was an eventful last minute that lasted actually 20 minutes of game of, of real time as the officials kept on going to replay. And then afterwards, Greg Gard did something I've never seen him do before, and that was uh, say what was really on his mind. And uh, so it was a very eventful final Sunday of the regular season uh, for Wisconsin. I guess uh, we'll just start with uh, that, that final minute of that game, and we'll, we'll go to the 34-second mark. Uh Something that Gregard did not see, perhaps thankfully, because uh, he may have uh, uh, gotten into even more trouble uh, had he seen the replay of the call on Dimitri Trice that, uh, from Bo Borowski that uh, ended up sending him to the bench with five fouls. It was uh, a really cheap, cheap foul call there by Bo Borowski, but it, it gave Iowa a three-point lead. Yeah, this is a pretty good place to start. Um, I know we've had three Wisconsin games since we lasted a show and the Badgers lost all three, but obviously the, the, what happened on Sunday was the most controversial and it's atrocious, quite honestly, what the last minute was. And this is everything that's wrong with the current state of college basketball. You mentioned that it took a little over 19 minutes to play the last minute of gameplay. That's ridiculous. I don't know how many replay reviews you need. First of all, I don't know why you have to go to the monitor so frequently and, and watch as much as you did, but on, on the three, pointer in question that was not a foul <laughs> i think every wisconsin fan who watched that was like i i don't understand that call now jordan bohannon i think did a very good job of selling it the way he shot the three looked awkward but if you look on the replay and um clearly dimitrik was moving away from the ball i mean i didn't see him affecting the shot but certainly not as you mentioned a foul was called and at the time, it's a 71-all tie. Um, I thought Wisconsin did an unbelievable job to get back in that game, considering they were down early. Um, they finally got a lead with about 12 minutes left after Brad Davison knocked down a three. And Wisconsin had led since 7-6 in the first four minutes of the game. I mean, honestly, I thought the game was over. Iowa had double-digit lead and just seemed like they were going to run away with it. But that call was so deflating, so Bohannon buried all three free throws to make it 74-71, and Wisconsin lost the guy who has been their most consistent player the whole season, the big play clutch guy, who I'm sure, as we'll discuss, in that Illinois game scored 19 points in just a couple of minutes, just preposterous display of offensive ability. So he fouled out, um, and that's that's only the beginning of where things started. So, yes, um, I know fans always complain about officiating and say that they cost a team a game, but in this instance, I think uh, that's a pretty darn valid argument. Yeah, that that, that call was... And we'll get to the other call that, that really made Greg Gard upset afterwards. Uh, but that call, I thought, was significantly worse than the, than the call later in the game. Because it's just the time and situation and the lack of actual contact there. And again, you're right. Jordan Bohannon sold it hardcore. Uh, and certainly uh, credit to him for doing so because he knew 
that uh, it's a veteran move, and it worked out, and Demetri Trice has certainly done similar things on the other end, and he got he got uh, whistled for it, and he was done. He had eight points there in the second half, scored all of his points there in the second half, and you would have loved to have had him taking a potential game-tying three-pointer at the other end if that was what it was going to become. Of course, he's not on the floor, and instead of him being on the floor, the ball went into uh, Liam Ford's hands and then into uh, a cutting Brad Davison's hands, and there was a foul call. He got pushed a little bit uh, by the Iowa defender. He only had one arm up to catch the ball. We later learned that uh, the other arm was down on his side, and uh, he got, thanks to the Iowa bench, uh, calling for a replay, of which they did multiple times, uh, including on another play against Brad Davison. They got, he got called for a hook-and-hold flagrant foul that led to he got his two free throws, then Iowa got their two free throws, and they got the ball to be up three. I don't think the uh, – and Greg Gard said it. You know what? We should let Greg Gard handle his feelings here. Or, you know, I'm sure pretty much everybody has heard them already, but well, here's what Greg Gard said about the uh, the initial hook-and-hold foul. You know, the area that I really want to address beginning, maybe got people have questions about it, is the um, mockery that has now been made of the hook-and-hold or any type of thing. And it, it appears to be have become a Brad Davison rule where uh, it's become, quite frankly, a joke. Um, anytime there's a foul or a question, the opponents are yelling to the, the officials about the monitor uh, to go to the monitor. I saw the play. If college basketball is headed in this direction, we're, we're in big trouble. Um, I really, it sickens me that we have games decided like this, and this is where it's at. That, that rule was not put in place for that. That was for safety of players. That was for post-play. Those type of things happen on every single possession of the game, specifically in the post. So I think it's really turned into a joke. Uh, I feel bad for Brad Davison. The kid's a great kid, plays his ass off, um, but he continues to get screwed by, by this and, and how the officials and, and the league – and opponents have com- continued to just call that out and, and spotlight, put a spotlight on that and deaden the ball. And um, it, it's really, it's become sickening, really. Uh, it's made a mockery of, of college basketball, specifically in the in this positions we've been in. So that was how he started this press conference. And it, uh, it is, I, I don't know what you think, but the Brad Davison rule, he, as he uh, claimed it to be, I, I kind of, agree right like it feels like he has gotten he's been more targeted for the rule perhaps than any other player in college basketball that I've seen and obviously we watch a lot more Wisconsin basketball than any other team but it feels like there's at least one of these a game uh, and it always involving Brad Davison and legitimately some of them are very uh, worthwhile and and accurate this one I don't think was within the uh, what the rule really was all about so Jesse when you look at it when you look at it What was your take? It certainly did not look like a hook and hold to me and a flagrant one and obviously completely uh, took away from an opportunity for Wisconsin to be in a much better position than the Badgers were in the end. But it's to me, it's amazing the way that the pendulum has swung here on the Brad Davison um, calls in his career. Right. The first couple of years, he was lauded for his ability to draw charges and, and certainly drew the ire of opposing fans and and teams and then at a certain point when it became a discussion uh topic on espn and and national radio and things like that i think officials started monitoring him much more closely and he wasn't getting as many calls and you've seen him get called for various flops and and the hook and hold and he had a hook and hold call against illinois um against kofi cokeburn 
And it was funny because on the broadcast, initially, the broadcaster said that Davison doesn't deserve this. And then afterward, they had watched extensive replays at halftime and then said it was, in fact, the hook and hold only because uh, Davison was trying to sell the call by saying that he was hooked. Um, but the actual act of the play, to me, I don't know that that was <laughs> a hook and hold. But I think part of the call, the part of the uh, implementation of the rule is that you're attempting to deceive someone. Having said all that, there's none of that in the Iowa game. That is just a play on to me. That is two guys going at it in a tight game in the final 30 seconds, and they called the initial foul, and that's what it should have been. Brad made those two free throws. Wisconsin was down one point. Iowa should have gotten the ball. Instead, they called the flagrant one. So Murray goes down and hits the two free throws. So was, Iowa's up three, and then Iowa gets the ball back. And obviously, uh, you know, if you were listening on the broadcast, you could hear in a arena that didn't have fans – Greg Gard go off on Bo Borowski, yeah. <laughs> saying every time, Bo, every bleeping time, it's embarrassing. Um, it is bizarre that that official has been involved in so many of these calls. And interesting to note, I'm not saying he is the sole reason Wisconsin has this record, but if I'm not mistaken, isn't Wisconsin 0-8 in games that he has officiated this year? It's just, He's, uh, it's just wild. They are 2-8. Uh, in games that two he, and eight. yes, because he uh, was the official. The, the two games were in the non-conference. They're they are oh, winless. They are winless in conference play with him as the official. I think uh, and Jim Polzine pointed this out because he went back as he obviously has been deluged with comments about Boborowski throughout this entire season, and it feels like every time he shows up on a, on a referee crew, it, it normally does not go Wisconsin's way. Most of those games are against teams that are higher than Wisconsin the standings. I mean Michigan. Um, the Ohio State game, Iowa, the Illinois games, like they, they're games that Wisconsin probably. I, I don't know if officiating was the reason Wisconsin lost those other games, but this one was magnified because it two two huge calls against Wisconsin in the final minute made by him, and I think that is probably. And this isn't like just a a one time like a one year thing. Like this is this goes back and and maybe we should go back and look at the the records over the last few years um but he is not alone like Wisconsin fans are not alone in their distaste and their dislike for Boborowski right like uh after the Michigan Michigan State game the other day there was a petition started on change.org to get him fired or at least get him stopped from uh, officiating games and before the Mich- uh, Wisconsin game yesterday there was about 200 signatures on it i think by uh, an hour or two afterwards when I looked at it, they were close to 700. So, yes, Wisconsin fans probably got in on that that change petition. Um, I know uh, Demetri Trice's mom uh, commented on it, uh, saying, where can I sign? Where do I sign? I want to sign this right now. Because she said, I've been, li- I've been living this through this for 11 years with my two sons. And uh, just not what she doesn't believe to be a, a, fair, a fair thing. And, 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 you know, the Trice call, the second Trice call, that one was, it was worse, but... Him being in the cylinder of, J- of J- uh, Jordan Bohannon's uh, elbow, apparently, getting uh, grazed in the face by, and, and he got called for a foul there. Like it was, it's it's a really really tough 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 day for uh, the officiating in college basketball. And then this may not even been the worst game. I don't know if you saw this or not, but the uh, the CAA hoops quarters, Elon rallied from 15 down and edged the number one seed following a late technical foul. The Phoenix chipped away at the lead a bit after Zach Jacobs was called for a technical foul for yelling and one after drawing a foul while scoring. 
the uh, uh, asked the official if yelling and one is a technical. He responded loud enough for the entire arena to hear, it is today. Yeah, that uh, that is somebody who wants to become a part of the story when they shouldn't be. Right. And that's too bad. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, like, the, it was not a banner day for officiating anywhere in the country. But, yeah, the, the, the final seconds there. The thing about it is, Wisconsin, then after the hook and hold, they're down three, right? About what was there left? 10, 12? 21 and a half seconds left. Was there? Okay. So then you get uh, you get the jump ball. They get the jump ball that Boborowski called. I'm not sure it was. Do you think it was a jump ball? Like it, um, it was close. Either way, it was close. But then you have Jordan Bohannon's yeah. shoulder. The elbow. going ba- the Yeah, shoulder. Sh- shoulder elbow going back into uh, Trevor Anderson's face. You review everything else. You review all these other calls, but you're not going to review that? Like where there was actual contact. You know, maybe it, it wasn't incidental, perhaps. But you're, if you're going to review everything else, you need to review that. And then there was the other review of Aleem Ford appearing to knock the ball out of bounds off of an Iowa player. It was really tight. It was really close. But it looked like if they had a different angle, they uh, perhaps they could have seen that it went off the Iowa player. Either way, Wisconsin got a Aleem Ford got a pretty good look at a three pointer when they were down three. I think with yep. about ten seconds left, and he just he didn't hit it. But at that point, you probably want Demetri Trice shooting that ball, and uh, or Micah Potter, who was fantastic shooting them from the outside yesterday. Uh, all of this happened in the final minute of the game. It just took entirely too long. I don't know what you can do. Like, can you? There's there should be a limit on challenges or uh, calls for replay. There should be. I, I mean, there there has to be. Otherwise, it's kind of like I mean, in the NBA, you get uh you get an opportunity to ask for. I think it's two in the NFL. Obviously, the, you have replay reviews. In college football, you have it as well, though that's more in the officials' hands. It is. I, I think something has to be done about it because, as Greg Gard said. You have this pocket full of challenge, like replay reviews. Whenever you want to use them, it's like unlimited. Right. the The problem is, I don't know exactly how you would implement because, you know, in in football, for example, in the final couple minutes, then it's at the discretion of the officials. Right. So but, you, you right, but and that's and to me that'd be fine. Let it be at the discretion of officials. That would that but don't led to the exact same situation. No, it we wouldn't. Had, I, I don't think so. I don't think they if they I don't think they go to the monitor unless Iowa is pleading for them to go to the monitor. That's what I'm saying. Like if they don't mm-hmm. see if they don't see it happen on the floor, if they don't see it themselves, I don't know if you don't see it in real time. You know, and, and um, like this isn't like a foot in bounds or not. I mean, it's it's a completely. Everyone has a different definition of what they're going to call in hook and hold. Like, there was a hook and hold potential, it looked like, earlier in the game on Brad that ended up with him, you know, draw, bringing a guy down on top of him. And they went and looked at that, and they didn't call it. But yeah. I, I felt, I mean, I, I feel like there's not a hard and fast rule. This isn't like a guy having two feet in bounds or something like that. This is, there's a little bit of subjective nature to it a little bit. Yeah, there does appear to certainly be a gray area. And, you know, one idea as we're discussing it is like in the NFL, certain calls aren't reviewable, right? Right. I mean, I don't know if you can say that the hook and hold isn't reviewable, but it's like if you didn't see it in real time, can you go back and retroactively say that it was a hook and hold? I, I, oh, I mean, the idea that the thought behind allowing these replay reviews was like in every other sport, let's get the call right. You know, we don't want to miss a call and when it could easily be corrected. The problem is we are seeing the ramifications of it where every little thing is now going to replay review and it's completely ruining the flow of the game. And 
frankly, in some of these situations, it's just not even fair. Because even on replay review, it's questionable. Uh, and I just question how they could come up with the decisions that they have. By the way, as of our uh, recording this, 835 petition signees for the uh, removal of Boborowski, <laughs> although I don't think a change.org position is necessarily going to uh, alter a position. I, it's more likely <laughs> yes. what happened in the game, which should be enough, but uh, not that, I, that I'm saying he should be removed from ever officiating again, but you know, just the, the magnitude of the moment and the, the number of calls that seem to involve him has just been astounding involving it- Wisconsin at the very least. True, yes. Uh, and the number of, uh, you know, Brad Davison has, it felt, yes. it feels at times like he's on the receiving end of a lot of those those situations. And, and Greg Gard went to bat for him afterwards. I don't know what, ha- I don't know why. I, like, so I don't, when I was watching, I don't even know what game it was, but whatever game Dick Vitale did of Wisconsin's was yes. the Michigan game. Or with what the game? Wikipedia? Yeah, but like, so I, I, uh, I did not hear, like, I turned the sound off. I can't listen to him. Like I just can't. I can't listen to. I can't listen to that anymore. It's just not. It's not any good. Mm-hmm. It's just annoying, and I just can't do it. So I turned the sound off. I completely missed that. I completely missed the Wikipedia thing. I didn't see anything. I didn't know of anything about that until Greg Gard mentioned about mentioned it after the game, saying that um, you know they had apologized, they had sent apologies, and all that other stuff. And he goes, "That's all fine and good, but what they're doing to this kid is is just over the top." Yeah, I did see that actually. You saw uh, it in the during moment? the broadcast. Okay. And what it, what it was, so as I, Greg referenced it in the post game, which people listen to uh, here on the show, they put up a graphic, and it was Brad Davis's Wikipedia page, which had been edited by someone it, falsely, and it said, as a junior, he became the emotional leader on the team and averaged 2.3 dirty plays per game. And ESPN took that graphic, threw it over the screen, and then talked about it. Yeah. Um, so as Greg said, that's great that the the – production crew or the production manager and Bob Wachusen and Dick Vitale called to apologize, but that doesn't take away from the fact that you just amplified this falsehood Narrative. Yeah. <laughs> in front of yeah. all the thousands of people that are watching the game. So it, it's that's part of what set Greg off is, is ESPN doing that in the middle of a game. Yeah. Now, he Greg is, has uh, defended De- uh, Brad in the past. Uh, I'm thinking back to the yes. after the Iowa game last year where he got ended up getting suspended for the Michigan State game. Uh, he defended him. But I've never heard Greg talk the way that he did in that post-game press conference, especially the idea that, uh, or the fact that he said, Brad Davidson gets screwed by the officials, by the Big Ten, by opposing teams. Like, I've never heard him come and be that forceful in his uh, defending of Brad Davison. And I have to imagine it went over well in the locker room. But what do you? what did you... Uh, were you surprised that he went that way after the game? I think this has been building for some time, obviously. Um, that was a critical moment in a game that Wisconsin really desperately needed just because of the way things have been trending here late in the season. But beyond that, I think the frustration that Greg has is that if you're around Brad every day, you see what type of player he is, what type of person he is, and that he's in part, earned some of this reputation. I'm not going to say that you know, some of the things he's done on the court haven't amplified this uh, inappropriately so. Yeah. But like I said earlier, the pendulum has swung to the point where every little thing that involves him goes against him to the point where if it was any other player, you would say that is absolutely not 
a flagrant or a hook and hold or a call on that guy. And Greg is defending his player. Um, he's doing what he thinks is right because he doesn't want, you know, Brad's name smeared in, in the way that it is, really. Um, so I think that's part of it because, like you said, this is something that's been ongoing really throughout Brad's whole career. I wonder what the reception will be from the league for that. Oh. <laughs> like you said, it's not something we ever really hear from Greg. Yeah. But I, I thought it was good for him to do that if that's what he believes, which he clearly does. I imagine it's going to be treated similar to what happened with the Penn State coach earlier, uh, the interim coach whose name is uh, escaping my mind right now. But he got reprimanded, and I think the university got fined $10,000. I imagine it will be something to that effect, maybe. I don't know. But the the fact remains that I would say the tipping – not the tipping point, but the, 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 the pendulum – as you mentioned, swung after the NC State game. Uh, yes, his sophomore and season made a big thing of, of the four yeah. charges that he took incorrectly, yeah. saying he took five. Yes, uh, right. And I remember we had that this conversation a bunch. You know, Bomani Jones, who I actually like uh, for a lot of the things, but he 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 did Brad um, a huge disservice with with some of the things that were said. And ESPN, that's that's kind of where it started, and it's been, I don't want to say downhill all the way from there, but I think officials took a huge, huge uh, look at that game and felt he was selling it a little bit too much, a little bit too much theatrics on his part to, to get those calls, and it's been downhill ever since then, in my opinion. Like, I think that is where it started downhill. And it's continued to go this way to the point where we have Greg Gard. It took a while, right? It took... To get to this point, it, it took a few years, but Greg, you know, Greg didn't say it's been this way for the last four years. It's been this way for the last three years, is what he said. And uh, you know, this is Dave Brad's fourth year, so I think it's it's really been these last three years where his uh, his grittiness has uh, just, I guess, gotten old for for officials. I don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know what else it could be that yeah. you know could make it to this point that it's gone this far. That uh, and, and look, has he earned a reputation for for certain things? Yes, I think like you know the uh, he got he got suspended for a game last year for a flagrant foul that that certainly could have been viewed as as a dirty play. You know you had the the incident with with Joey Hauser uh, at Marquette. Like there are there are instances, but Brad to me, at least in my opinion, is not an overtly dirty player. Yes, I, I agree. I know we've had this discussion in the past. Um, there's certainly been moments where his competitiveness toes the line and extends over the line, I think. Um, but And those are the moments that are amplified, clearly. Uh, and I think when you see what happens in a game like Iowa, all these calls start to add up. But I wrote a story about this, or something to this effect, two years ago. It was February 2019, when he... It didn't appear to be <laughs> being able to draw as many charge calls, and that was after the NC State game. There was a moment in a game against Michigan. Michigan's Charles Matthews caught a pass on the left wing. He faced the basket. He drove. It looked like a charge that Brad took, and, and they called a block. Or they, they didn't make a call at all. Um, and then Matthews scored, and Dan Dockich was on the call, um, and he loves the, the conspiracy theories and all that, but he said that he'd noticed at the time that officials just weren't giving Brad the call. And then Greg went on Dockage's radio show, and Dockage was asking him about it if he felt like officials weren't giving Davison calls anymore. And remember, this is two years ago. Um, and Greg said that sometimes yes, and that he'd talk to Brad about it, and then he'd even talk to the league office about it. 
And he said, went on to say that's how Brad plays the game and there's an art to it. And this is just talking about drawing charges. So this has nothing to do with the, the hook and holds, the flagrant fouls, everything else that has sort of accompanied this. But yes, I, my point in saying all this is that, yeah, this goes back to after that NC State situation when it seemed like everything Brad did was magnified. And obviously Greg has had discussions with the league since way back then. But you saw what happened after the 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 NC State game when, as you said, Bomani Jones has a debate on on high noon, and then Davison's name starts showing up all over. Like SB Nation ran an article after that that was called Wisconsin's Brad Davison is College Basketball's Grossest Best Flopper. And then GQ ran a story online that said Brad Davison drawing four charges in a game is nothing to celebrate. It just became like he became a villain. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just crazy the way that uh, his career has, has played out here. Yes. So... I mean, all of it led to, to, to Greg going off at his press conference. And um, again, as I said before, I think it probably played pretty well in the locker room with the way that he defended Davison. And uh, he was not alone in defending Davison. Uh, Jonathan Davis, who has, who's, you know, the words that he uses when he's in his postgame press conference, it's, he gives us like 10 word answers usually. That's just, I mean, that's just kind of who he is. He's not really a verbose guy. And he was asked about the call and he said, yeah, they screwed us on Brad's call. Like I, that one caught me off guard just almost as much as what uh, Greg said, you know. And then and then Michael Potter came on and talked about how great of a person Brad is, and you know all the things that he does off the court and all like his character. And for people to certain, uh, you know, the media, certain media companies, ESPN specifically, to to drag it into the mud like that is unfair. So all this. Uh, I guess is uh, probably relevant for now, but there's still games to play here. And I, I thought I think, even though they did not win that game, and even though Joe Eastcamp may have put fifty on him had he not gotten this, had gotten hurt, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And like uh, maybe that that game's not anywhere close to uh, what it ended up being. Their fight in the second half, their ability to, to hit some open shots, their ability to get the offense going. I mean, how many how many points did score in the second half? Forty seven. Like it was, it was a huge, huge, huge lift. I think, and I know why Iowa's defense isn't great, but the last time they played them, they shot thirty percent. So, um, you know, it's it's an improvement to shoot forty seven percent. And I just think what we saw in the second half, even though it didn't turn into a win, at least makes you feel a little confident that maybe they're playing a little bit better. And I know that the the Purdue game was the same way. They didn't they didn't shoot overly well. But the offense felt like they were getting them some open shots, and eventually those open shots are going to go down. Yeah, I know in the last show I was Mr. Pessimist. I, I don't really necessarily know that I've changed my perspective or feel the same way that you do. Yes, it's good in the second half that Wisconsin was able to make the comeback that it did. Um, but the inconsistencies are just too much for me to feel like one decent half against Iowa's suddenly going to change the trajectory of this but, team. You look... But that's what, everyone, I'm saying. that's what I'm saying, though. It's not just one half. It, it's, I'd say 60 of the last 80 minutes have been... have, have uh, showed some signs of life, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and even, that, and even, and even, they've been and, in all three games. And, and, I mean, even, yes. and even in the first half of Sunday's game against Iowa, they, the shots were open. They didn't hit them, but the shots were open. They were getting open shots. And at, yeah. at large points of this stretch of this, this second half of the season where they have not shot the ball well, there have been a lot of situations where they haven't been able to get free open looks. Now, there, yeah. there certainly have been others where, where they have, but 
those open looks, that means your offense is, is, is working. Your offense is finding ways to get open looks, and eventually we know that they can hit these shots, and it's just do they hit them in time to be able to take advantage. And on Sunday, on Sunday they did almost enough to take advantage against a top-five yes. team in the country. I agree with all that, and I think the thing that's most maddening about the season in this team is let's just say Wisconsin winds up as an eight seed in the NCAA tournament, projected seven or eight, depending on what you look at. They are the type of team that I think could scare the bejesus out of a one seed in the second round because their players are at their best capable of doing exactly as you said and knocking out a one seed in the second round. Like Wisconsin is just one of those teams. The problem is we haven't seen it consistently enough for me to believe that something like that is going to happen. And they've played reasonably well in some of these games. And I do want to acknowledge in this three game losing streak, they're played an Illinois team that's going to be a one seed, an Iowa team that could be a two seed, and a Purdue team that right now is projected as a four seed. And it was single digit game, one possession game toward the end in all of those games. So it could have gone either way. The problem for me is it's been too inconsistent. It's like that phrase that consistently inconsistent. You look even over the last eight games and they're two and six in those games and they're shooting 30.7% on threes and they haven't shot even 40% in any of those games. Yeah. And I, but it's, I, I just think no, it's a, you're right. It's just hard for me to feel. It's hard for me to feel like the optimism is there because they played well enough to get close yeah. And and couldn't quite win. I yeah. mean, I know Illinois is one of those teams on a different level, even with DeSumo out, which, I mean... They beat tw- they beat Michigan by 20-some-odd without DeSumo. Yes. But Wisconsin opens that game 1-for-15 from the field. They missed 13 straight shots, had 11 empty possessions in a row. What was, mean, the, what was the final three for three. What was the final What's score? That? What was the final score that one? I think Dimitri Trice wound up with 70 of Wisconsin's points, uh, 16, all 69 of the points. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. They're, they've been close, <laughs> and I give them credit for that. It's just too frequently they've gone these long stretches without doing anything offensively, um, and it was similar against Purdue. They start three for three on threes. Then they miss seven in a row. Um, part of that is college basketball. The other team's doing that too. We just This has been going on for months, so I just – I don't know. You, I mean, if we roll this ahead to the Big Ten tournament, which is where we're at right now, you know, Wisconsin drew a six seed, and so they're going to play on March 11th, this Thursday, against Nebraska or Penn State. I would expect Wisconsin to win that game, and if they do, they're going to play Iowa again. Um, could they win? Yeah. It would, it would take an unbelievable stretch for them to, to roll through that, where they would play Iowa and then potentially Illinois and then potentially Michigan. Uh, they're going to have to play the best basketball we've seen in years. What I'm sa- what I said before is they may lose their final certain number of games. Mm-hmm. I, when, this is when they had three games left. This is the last time we had it, I said they may lose the next three, but I want to see them play better. Like I want to see, like even if they don't win any of those games, can they play better basketball than what we had seen previous to that? And I think I don't know about resounding yes to that. But I think it's clear that they've played better these last three games, specifically the last two, than they had been playing before that. Now, did it result in wins? No. But I, I think anybody that doesn't think that they're playing better right now than they were before that stretch, I don't, I, I don't know what to say to that. Because I think it's pretty clear that they are playing better basketball than they, they had been in the previous three weeks, three or four weeks. So either way, uh, they are a sick – go ahead, sorry. No, I, I think that is a fair point. I think for me, 
that's just not enough for a team with the expectations that we had of them when the end result is still a loss. Playing better and losing to me isn't reason for me to feel confident enough that something special is going to happen here the next few weeks, but that's part of what makes this time of the season uh, potentially magical because I've said before that they're good enough. That's what makes it so frustrating if you're a fan. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So let's talk about some of the positive things that happened in that, that game. I mean, I, Micah Potter, the way that he shot the ball from the outside, he, he seems to be playing with a significant amount of confidence. Three of his last four games have been uh, very, very good from the outside, and you have to like that. It's just, can they figure out a way to get him and Demetri Trice playing well at the same time? If they can, I think that they can make a run. I think they if those if they're two best players and maybe this is obvious if they can figure out a way to get those two guys playing at a high level in the same game which has not happened for uh, for a while then I think you have to feel good about their chances because then 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 the other guys on that team then the other you know then the some of the role players can play they don't have to they don't have to be scoring. 15 points a game. They don't need it if those two guys, if their two best offensive players show up and play well in the same game. Yep, and that's what it's going to take to make a, a run here in, in the NCAA tournament is your two best players playing well, put some pressure on the other team, stop falling behind early and then playing catch-up. And if you've got those two hitting early, obviously it makes everything a little bit easier. And you're right. You know, We've talked about how great Trice has been. Look at the first half against Purdue. Didn't score any points. <laughs> 0 for 3 from the field. Uh First half against Iowa, First didn't half score. against Iowa, right? <laughs> yeah, now, some of, that, some of that was foul trouble, but yeah, didn't score. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Potter's been excellent. His very first touch, I think he buried a three against Iowa. He's just been outstanding for the most part from, from behind the arc, especially here down the stretch in some of these big games. So that's what you have to have is your best players playing well in the NCAA tournament. That's a cliche thing to say, but we, we haven't seen that consistently. And... Um, We'll just see. I don't know. I don't know what I, this. I think I know what to expect in no, the NCAA come on. tournament, but you just never know. Yeah, I don't know how anybody. I don't, especially right, especially this year. Like I, I have no idea what you know where they're going to be playing. We don't know. Yeah. Indianapolis. How about that? We don't know that. They could be playing West Lafayette. They could be playing in Bloomington. Oh well, Indiana. All right, Indiana. Okay. You know, playing in fan in, in front of fans like a. a, a Healthy number of fans uh, in certain situations, as, as many as eight thousand fans at the at the Big Ten tournament. We, we'll see what happens with the NCAA tournament, but the Big Ten tournament, you're going to be having up to eight thousand fans there. Wisconsin has not played in front of fans since the Indiana game last March, so I think that throws another not not a wrench, but throws another interesting thing into the mix. Like how do how do teams who have not played in front of fans all year all of a sudden play in front of fans? Things in yeah in the NCAA tournament, where are you going to be playing? You can be playing in Lucas Oil. You can be playing at Butler. You can be playing down at West Lafayette or Indian or um, Bloomington. Like all these, there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty. And you know, I, I think if you're a, a veteran team like Wisconsin, you'll handle it as you go. And maybe other teams that don't have that same, you know, um, experience level don't handle it as well and and wisconsin is able to take advantage of that we'll see i don't know there's that this time of year you have no idea what's going to happen i mean the wisconsin got what was it through uh four years ago the the senior year for for nigel hayes and and vito brown and all those guys they got screwed and were ended up being an eight seed and i think villanova probably thinks they got screwed by having wisconsin as an eight seed and they they went and pulled that upset like i don't under i i i think there's a 
I don't say a good chance, but I think there's those guys were not playing well down the stretch either, and um, you know managed to pull what was one of the upsets of the tournament, and and should have been going to the elite eight. So, and that was a senior led team that year too. That's what I'm saying is like. I think I know what will happen based on what we've seen, but that's what makes this time of the year so special and fun. And they are exactly the type of team that could go on a run like that. I mentioned before, what if Wisconsin's in seed and plays a one seed in the second round? That's exactly what happened in the in the year that you're talking about with with Happ and Hayes and Koenig, and they beat Villanova and then went on to lose that overtime game to to Florida. Um, otherwise, maybe you've gotten to the Final Four. You just never know. So. I mean, if you're a fan, you have to hope that the maturity of the team will have some impact in the tournament for them to be able to put behind everything that uh, maybe they didn't accomplish during the regular season or even the Big Ten tournament and compartmentalize and, and realize how good they're capable of being. Will they do that? Will they execute? I don't know. It's a very interesting um, situation that, that they're facing. I wanted to quickly uh, touch on the Purdue game because uh, a little mm-hmm. bit more of the Purdue game. How do you how do you stop a seven four guy? You cannot. That guy is Zach Eady. Unbelievable yeah. man. He he was eight for eleven from the field. He had twenty one points. Triple team him. I honestly, it was like he was playing against middle schoolers sometimes. It was, and he was getting every rebound. Yeah, well, I mean, and why does Wisconsin Purdue always have a seven four guy? It feels right? like yeah. every year they got some seven two guy. You know, it's, you know, it's funny. We, you mentioned that is uh, it kind of brings it full circle with the the hook and hold. I believe the uh, it was put into the rule book in uh, three years ago after Isaac Haas got uh, pulled down to the ground in the NCAA tournament and broke his elbow or fractured his elbow in the NCAA, yeah. NCAA tournament. So, yeah, speaking of big Purdue guys that uh, uh, were, let's just say, uh, big load, big load. We'll say that Isaac Haas, big load. But yeah, Zach Eady, the only thing I w- went away from that game thinking is, okay, you, it's clear you can't stop him, right? Like Wisconsin, they can't stop him. Uh, it's, it was pretty much a basket every time it got inside. If you're Wisconsin, do you go small? Because if you're not going to stop him with Nate Reavers or Micah Potter, what's the point? You know, Do you go small? <laughs> do you go small and make him defend? Because there were, he was not on the floor late because he is, he, he's not exactly the most mobile guy. So if you go small and try, I mean, if... If you have no stop, chance of stopping with with Reavers and other words, it's it's irrelevant. You know if it's if it's a lean forward or Tyler Wall and they're trying to guard him either. You know what I mean? Like go small, make him defend because he his foul, he dealt with foul trouble all year. Like he's not been able to stay on the floor because of foul trouble. I, I feel like he uh, they didn't perhaps maybe try and take advantage of that. I don't know. Otherwise, I have no answer for for someone like that when you know your six eleven senior is just getting pushed out of out of the way like. He's he's a, a seventh grader. Well, I look forward to seeing what this dude can do in the the next couple of years. He's a freshman uh, from Canada. He's only played eighteen minutes, has twenty one points. First time I I've seen him, and I just yeah. <laughs> but they had a, a veteran a veteran guy who starts yeah. Travion Williams, so that's right. why he doesn't get more minutes in part. I mean, you mentioned the foul trouble too. Um, I don't know. It's a tough league, man. I, it is. I, Purdue's the youngest. One, isn't Purdue like one of the youngest teams? I think they mentioned that in the broadcast. Yeah. One of the youngest teams in the country, and they're they've started to play better ball here in the second half. Is this the year that a Big Ten team wins a national title? Do you think? Greg Gard talked about it this year or this this week leading into this game. There are four elite teams in this conference. Yes. There are four, te- and he said, "I don't think we've ever had more than two. 
And, and by elite, he means teams that can get to the Final Four and win a national championship. Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio State. And we'll see you know, where Purdue is. But is this the year that it happens? It's as good a year as any for it to happen. I mean, Gonzaga hasn't lost a game. Baylor... Right, but like the, it, those are the top two teams, but yeah. it's it's a it's a toss up with a lot of these teams. So like, yeah, I mean the odds are <laughs> in the Big Ten's favor with those four teams that are going to be one or two seed. Right, and especially and especially because some of the true blue bloods, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, not not dealing with the same issues that Kentucky and Duke are, but like some of the the in North Carolina even, some of the blue bloods are not that good, and so obviously yeah. Gonzaga is, has proven to be an elite program even though you know they've been to the final four just once baylor is kind of what it is but villanova just took a huge hit uh was it who who went down for them uh one of their one of their guys went down with a knee injury is i think is done for the year so like there there are not like the elite elite blue blood teams and it it just feels like they have an opportunity even throw michigan state in there too not having them potentially not being in the tournament though certainly beating michigan yesterday helped i think i I'm going to go out and say I think this is the year that it happens. I think Big Ten team wins it. I don't know which one it is. If I had to pick right now, I would probably say Illinois. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yes, probably. I mean... Yes, probably? Yes. Yeah, they, okay. they, well, Illinois or, or Michigan, I guess. I mean, I, I really like Iowa, but you got to be able to... If they've been better defensively. I guess we'll see what happens with Wieskamp. They got the best player in the game, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Illinois or Michigan, and maybe this is the year. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, obviously. It is too bad that, that potentially injuries could impact this down the stretch, especially for Iowa. Like Joe Eastcamp was, was off to a ridiculous start against Wisconsin five for five. And, and, uh, they weren't necessarily easy shots either. Uh, he, that, that may have been, that may have gotten ugly yesterday if he had been able to stay in, but Hopefully he's, he's healthy enough to play in the NCAA tournament. I, I, I don't know. I just think this is the best the Big Ten has ever looked, and uh, certainly with just the uncertainty all around it, you would have to imagine with the game with the um, tournament being played in Indianapolis, all of it being played in Indianapolis, that there is going to be a healthy contingent of Big Ten fans, whether it's for Michigan or Illinois or Ohio State and even Iowa, like. A central location like that is going to make it very, very easy for them to to get there and and buy up tickets, uh, even though it's only going to be at like twenty five percent capacity. So, uh, could be playing in front of very friendly crowds as well, which should help. Well, I like your bold prediction because the last time we discussed uh, Wisconsin's end of the season schedule, you said they would go zero and three. I thought they would go one and two and beat Purdue, and and you wound up being right. So I wasn't going to bring that up. You're on a roll. I, I don't want to bring that yeah, up. I mean, I, I, I felt like it was worth bringing up. All right. Well, I, hey, I appreciate you. Um, so Wisconsin is the sixth seed in the Big Ten tournament. They will, as you mentioned, face Nebraska or Penn State. Which ones? Uh, obviously, if you're Wisconsin, would you rather face Nebraska? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Because Penn State can put up. Yeah. Penn State's giving them a game. Penn State beat them already. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. So, but are they so so assuming they get by Penn State and Nebraska, does their run come to an end in the uh, quarterfinals against Iowa? I think it will. And I think if it doesn't, it will the next day against Illinois. <laughs> How's that for going out on a huge limb? Well, hey, when you, if you're going to pick chalk, go for it. I mean, that's the you're picking chalk. I, I completely understand it. I don't know if if Joe Wieskamp is unable to play, and that looked like a pretty bad injury. I don't know, but I don't know. Maybe Wisconsin can. Uh, we'll see. 
as you mentioned, it was one half, right? One half of good basketball from Wisconsin there in the second half against Iowa. Doesn't guarantee that that's going to show up on Thursday in Indianapolis against Nebraska or Penn State. But if it does, and the next day without Joe Wieskamp, I think it's a possibility Wisconsin could get that win and maybe get into the to the semifinals. We'll see. And then it's Big Ten, and then it's NCAA tournament. We'll talk. We'll be back next week after Selection Sunday uh, after we figure out who Wisconsin will be facing in the NCAA tournament uh, the following week. Uh, Until then, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, you've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.